When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. Derek Williams here today, spending some one-on-one time with you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, It's been a wet several weeks here in East Texas, but the sun is out. It's hot out in the pool. It's been great. Today for this episode and maybe for a few more, what I've decided to do, I had an idea. I get messages relatively frequently asking about, you know, specifics of my practice or, you know, what do I recommend in a certain situation and as do Justin and Steve. So I figured I would take some time to answer some of these questions and allow listeners out there to ask. So I posted on our Facebook group and I received several private messages with questions. Then on that post, we had a lot of uh, comments and questions. So I'm going to spend some time reviewing those questions with you and sharing my thoughts and and answers to those. So if you didn't see that post and you'd like to ask some questions, feel free to go check out that post and see if you have a question that hasn't already been asked. So before we start to get into some specifics, I'm going to start off by just giving some background on my situation, my practice as there's several questions that were posted about just number of operatories, how many staff, what what are their positions, what's your involvement with insurance, and and other stuff like that. So I'm going to give some uh, general information about my practice that will kind of give some background, and then hopefully other things as I answer it can kind of lay on top of that. So my practice is in East Texas, like you've heard me say probably several times, about two hours north of Houston. City is called Lufkin, L-U-F-K-I-N. Population of Lufkin is about 35,000 and the county population is closer to about 90,000. When I purchased the practice, it was not in network with any insurances. In the last year or so, we've gone in network with several different insurance companies in my specific situation, it worked out really well because there were not a lot of providers in my area. We were able to get really great fee schedules that are very close to my UCR fees. As far as staff, I have six staff members, two front desk, two assistants, and two hygienists. I've shared before, but for probably the first several years, I had one front desk two assistants, two hygienists. And then last year, so yeah, it's been about a year, we hired a second front desk. So we we had been at five employees for quite a while and just last year hired the second front desk. As far as hours that were open, offices open Monday through Thursday. I work Monday through Wednesday. Our hours are eight to five, except for on Wednesdays, we close at three. When I bought the practice, the uh, seller had been closing early at three because he had therapy or, or something that he had been doing. We kept those hours. 
about a little over a year into my ownership in the practice, I decided to cut out Thursdays. And so for the last several years, my work week is done on Wednesday at three o'clock. So it's great. Hygienists rotate Thursdays. Um, and on Thursdays, we see patients that don't need an exam, perio patients, low carries risk patients that had an exam at their last recall, patients like that. My practice is relatively small. Our office is only 1,400 square feet. We have four operatories. Two of them are hygiene. Two of them are restorative. We're located on the main highway in town. It's a good location, a good amount of traffic. My first year, I installed a big digital sign that was a good investment because there was still a lot of people that didn't even know there was a dental office there, even though it was a great location. As far as uh, clinical procedures that we keep in-house, I do mostly bread and butter. I do normal restorative dentures, partials, overdentures, implants, socket grafting, but not any sinus lifts or major augmentation. I do a fair amount of surgical extractions, wisdom teeth. I don't do IV sedation and I don't do ortho of any kind. As a big FYI, as we go through these things, and even with the things I just shared, I'm definitely not saying that those of you listening should be replicating exactly what I'm doing. Nobody should be listening and saying, oh, okay, well, that's what he did. I'm going to do that exact same thing, and hopefully I get the same results. I'm just sharing what has worked for me, and so I recommend that you experiment and do the same thing in your practice. Sometimes when we get questions from people, they want a simple and straightforward answer on what they should do or follow or implement. And the answer usually isn't that simple. It depends on your area. It depends on your practice and your demographic. And it depends also largely on your goals and your priorities. What causes you stress? What makes you feel fulfilled in your practice? That's one thing that's so great about coaching is that when we can really spend a lot of time with a client get to know them and get to know their vision, their goals, and what's going to allow them to have the best practice environment possible and the best life outside of their practice possible, we can combine those two and really redefine their goals and shift the perspective into a way that has a much greater chance of success and achieving what they want. So let's jump into the questions. I tried to categorize the questions so that we're not jumping back and forth on different topics. I got a lot of questions about staff, vacation, scheduling, production, some about insurance, hiring, stuff like that. Questions like, what does a typical day look like for me in my office in order to do over 10000 a day? And then uh, I got quite a few questions on clinical dentistry. I'm going to try and hit all of these things, but it's probably going to take a few episodes to get through them. And I'm going to start today by going over clinical things. We so rarely talk about clinical dentistry on this podcast. And a big part is we don't claim to be clinical experts in any areas. You know, we focus on leadership and taking extreme ownership of your practice and your life, setting goals and reaching those things and, and not letting not letting other things influence how you're going to react and practice. 
So we don't talk a lot about clinical things. You know, to be completely honest, when I saw the question, you know, I'm not super comfortable sharing a lot about my clinical protocols, mostly because, like I said, I don't consider myself to be any kind of amazing dentist when it comes to clinical work. So I feel like there's a lot of other places where you could get really great quality information, and I'm probably not one of those. I do want to make sure that I'm producing high quality work that is going to stand the test of time. And I definitely have times where I'll see a class two or a crown that doesn't look great on the x-ray and I'll redo it for the patient. So I'm not perfect. That's my disclaimer. I'm not the clinical guru that you should be looking at, but I am going to share some of my thoughts with you. And if it's helpful, take it. If not, then you can disregard. So the first question how do you handle maintaining patient experience and quality dentistry in a very busy practice? This is a great question. And it's a question that is often debated quite a bit on forums and different places. You'll see dentists that get pretty defensive about how much time a specific procedure should take and a specific way that a procedure should be done. But in general, I think that You're going to find challenges in any environment clinically as far as trying to maintain a schedule, patient satisfaction, while providing quality care. This is something that you have to work with and play with over time. In my opinion, if you're great at anything, you know what works in your hands, you know what's predictable, but you're also open to learning and hearing new ideas. But you can also evaluate any process in any business, and when you push things to their limit you're going to start to see things break down. So in dentistry, you need to have a critical eye and look at where your clinical outcomes are less than satisfactory. Look closely at your failures. What step in the process led to the failure? If you're open and able to do some critical self-evaluation, you should be able to get to the bottom things and make some corrections in order to keep high success outcomes. So really to answer this question, there's two points. First is you have to draw a line in the sand in a way. You have to consciously make a decision that quality comes first. Anyone that is practicing knows that ethical situations come up all day, every day. But the more firm you can get at saying, no, I'm going to make sure that this is done the right way, even when it requires you to go back a step or to reschedule or to spend a little bit more time, the better that you'll get at making these ethical decisions and it will be easier and you're going to become a better clinician. At the same time, I know of some dentists that are perfectionists trying to get perfect anatomy, staining their occlusal grooves on second molars. That is definitely not me. My goal is not perfection. My goal is to perform dentistry at a level that is acceptable and has a high likelihood of lasting 15 plus years. So the second point is to understand what your goal is. Maybe you are shooting for perfection. Maybe you define successful outcomes differently, but know what your goal is. Define it. So again, those two things. First is to decide what is reasonable to make exceptions on and where you're not willing to compromise. Draw your line in the sand. Second is to know what your goals are and what you are shooting for. So I don't know if that answers the question as far as how I've learned to maintain it, but essentially it's come down to that. You know, I've had things break in the process. I've had to go back to the drawing board. I've had to say, okay, I I need at least this much time for this. And sometimes 
like I said, we have to reschedule or it definitely doesn't work out perfect all the time. But if you're committed and you keep working through that process, you should be able to get to that point. So a follow-up question to that is, are there any procedures you have eliminated from practice because they weren't enjoyable to you or because they weren't profitable enough? Yes. And that's ortho for me. I know some of you guys love ortho and say it's the easiest thing. I don't do any ortho at all, not even clear liners. I took an ortho course my first year out of school. I did clear liners and I was just not thrilled with the outcomes and the time that it took to reach what I deemed as being acceptable. I felt that I really needed to devote more time to it if I wanted to get it to the point of being happy with the results and making it more hands-off for me. When it came down to it, there were other procedures that I enjoyed more that I was able to keep in-house and push myself more on that I just have never pursued any more training in ortho and it's become something that I refer out. And that may change at some point if I decide I want to recommit myself, but I think that's a great question. And I don't think that's a bad thing to necessarily eliminate things. You have to look at your practice and see how much demand is there for all of the different procedures. How busy am I? How much busier do I want to become? And based on those answers to the question, you can decide what the best route is for you to go. So next question, how did you expand your skill set as an owner? Did you feel pressure as an owner to not take risks? or to not push your limits? This is a really great question and one that a lot of newer dentists or associates think of quite a bit. We hear a lot of dentists giving advice to get a mentor, to work as an associate for several years and make your mistakes on someone else's patience so that you can prepare for ownership. While I think that there probably is some merit in this, I also think it's a bunch of crap. You definitely need to have a certain level of competence and confidence if you're going to own a practice, but to say that you can't continue to learn and grow and take on new procedures or try different things when you own a practice just doesn't make sense to me. And to go into it thinking that you're going to make mistakes on someone else's patients, I mean, people are people regardless of whose patients they are. So Either way, whether you're working in someone else's practice or it's your own practice, in my opinion, you should be approaching any procedure or learning process in the same way. So in a way, I think it's a good thing as an owner that it kind of shifts your perspective. If it's your practice and it's your name on the building, it makes you feel like you really own your work. So when you're going to push yourself outside your comfort zone, it makes you do it in a way that you still want to ensure a good outcome for your patients. I bought my practice brand new out of dental school, fee-for-service practice from a dentist that had been practicing for over 40 years. So I definitely understand this question and the feeling of being nervous on deciding how much to push yourself. If you remember one of our very first episodes, I talked about my experience as a new owner. You'll remember my endo horror story, and I'll retell it quickly. When I graduated from dental school, I thought I was the bomb with endo. I received the award in my class for excelling in endo. I did a decent amount of root canals, even some apicoectomies. I really enjoyed it. So my, I, it was my first or second week in private practice. My local bank that I had developed a relationship with 
she called me and told me that her, her son had a toothache. I said, yeah, no problem. We'll see him. He was probably 16 or 17 at the time. Tooth needed a root canal. It was number 19. I won't go on to, into the details, but I ended up breaking off a file in interceptal bone. So I basically perforated the tooth and broke off the file. Looking back now, like it's so easy for me to see that there were so many things that I did wrong to end up without outcome. And I'm kind of embarrassed to tell the story now. It was a shock to my system, but it was a great experience for me. It made me take a big step back, go back to the basics and really focus on the fundamentals of endo. I decided that I needed to stick with more simple cases until I became comfortable with the results. So I did that. I started seeing the results that I knew were good. And then at that point, I started to push the envelope a little bit more. Now I'm to the point where I really enjoy molar endo. There are still cases that I refer out. I've had to pick what makes sense for me to pursue based on how well and how quickly I can accomplish something. So as far as the question, I'll repeat the question again. How did you expand your skill set as an owner? Did you feel pressure as an owner to not take risks or push your limits? Yeah, in the beginning, I came out overconfident and I had to kind of step that back. And that was a good lesson for me. And it worked well as far as like surgical extractions and wisdom teeth and implants as well, because I had done those things in dental school and I felt relatively confident about them, but definitely not tough cases and stuff like that. So I had to start out in the beginning by playing it a little bit more conservatively, referring out some things that maybe I could have done. But for me, the importance was, and I often share this with clients new in ownership, is you want to build the confidence of your staff in you and your patients in you and yourself in you. And what needs to happen is we need to see predictable, consistent results with clinical treatment. So step it back a little bit, do the cases that you know are simple and straightforward, refer out a little more than maybe you normally would. And as your confidence grows and your staff's confidence grows in you, you can start to kind of push the envelope little by little over time and continue to see results, take courses where you're interested in expanding your skill set. And I feel like that's a really good approach. So I didn't expect it to take that long to go through those initial questions. I'm going to wrap up there for today. Next time, I'm going to share just some clinical tips. The next question I'll, I'll share next time is, do you have any clinical tips that you can share to help increase productivity? I wrote down quite a few things in different areas. So I'm going to go through those and share them with you. Again, I'm not your clinical guru, but I'm happy to share things. So anyway, hope this was helpful and I look forward to sharing more with you guys in the coming weeks. Take care.